Welcome, everybody, to Cyber Insanity with your host, Andrew Bercuda and Angelo Longo. Awesome. Well, thank you for a new season of podcasts. We do promise you some some exciting things and exciting topics, as always. And uh, thanks. Uh, shout out to Gabby, who's our producer, and Cat Herder to make sure that everything goes well and we don't break things on the podcast and your screens are intact. Um, Angelo. What's going on? Who's that person? I don't know. Who's that person? Should we talk to her? Let's make. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we do have a guest with us today. Um, Angelo, would you like to introduce our our new esteemed colleague? Esteemed colleague, yes. I would like to introduce Rebecca Rakowski Esquire. She is a a friend and colleague. Uh, I've worked with her for a number of years, and I find her to be uh, insightful, sarcastic. But fun to be around, and and I go, I do go to her for advice. So, Rebecca, what an introduction! Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Me. Well, thank you, thank you for having us, Rebecca. So, for those of our podcast listeners who don't know what you do exactly, you have a title of a a, a cyber attorney, and I was wondering if you can kind of. Maybe just to take a few minutes, explain what that is, what your what your law firm is, and and what you do, and and uh, maybe some some things you can share with us. Sure. So uh, Rebecca Rakowski, I'm the uh, co-founder and managing partner of Xpan Law Partners, and we are a boutique cybersecurity and data privacy law firm. So that sounds you know very highfalutin, um, and to some degree it is. I'm very very you know I love love my uh, Love the title. Um, but no, I mean, cybersecurity and data privacy law has um, really um, evolved in the past 10 to 15 years. Um, and my firm, I was originally at a large regional firm for uh, about 15, my first 15 years of practice. I'm doing a lot of litigation, a lot of, um, you know, what I would call reactive law, right? That's the litigation piece of it. Um, and uh, about seven or so years ago, I decided, you know what, um, if I'm really going to do just cybersecurity and data privacy, I need to have a boutique firm because it's such a complex area of the law. It is constantly changing and evolving. So we formed XPAM really with the idea that we would focus exclusively on the area of cybersecurity and data privacy. And Angelo, who has known me for a long time, people thought I was like, a little crazy. They were like, seriously, you're just going to do this? Like, why is a lawyer involved in cybersecurity and data privacy? You're not a tech person. Why are you here? Um, and as Angela well knows, I'm a little um, tenacious and a little bit of a nag. And I think those are two excellent qualities for your attorney. Um, and so I um, I was like, no, I belong here. And I was, I just basically had to teach people why the legal side of cybersecurity and data privacy privacy was such an incredibly important part of any business. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really work on the proactive side of it. So we talk, we work with clients um, before, hopefully there is an incident. Um, and we work on understanding what their business is, how their data flows work. Um, and then we create programs in and around how the, how their cybersecurity and data privacy should work sympathetically with their business. Because it's not something where you can just 
pull a policy offline and plug it in. Everybody, every business collects data, uses data, shares data differently. So your policies, procedures, all of that has to be tailored to how your business operates. And then we do a lot of contract work and stuff because um, people don't think about cybersecurity and data privacy until there's a problem. And then there's a ton of provisions in contracts in and around that, that they're like, holy crap, we didn't even realize those were there. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of what we do. And then we also do incident response um, and, and investigations and I do litigation still. Um, but that's more of the, it, it's a smaller piece of my practice. I prefer to get to them early. It's like children, you know what I mean? You start with them in preschool and kindergarten. If I get to them early, hopefully I can save them from a life of crime. So uh, that's what we're, that's what we do at XPAM. Well, I, I read somewhere that, um, that cyber, uh, being a cyber attorney, that is one of the hottest and most uh almost exponentially growth paths for anybody in a legal uh, profession uh, as a discipline to choose because there's there's just ferocity in the industry today, right? There's, there's breaches that are occurring uh, almost, I hate to say it, daily you're seeing something in the, in the, in the magazines or the trade rags or the, or the websites or whatever. Um, regulation, I, th I think for 2024, I'm seeing more teeth to the regulations. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think companies are really keeping up or, or uh, up with, or even outright ignoring the cyber best practices. And I think that's, um, you know, add that to executives being targeted almost from a personal perspective. Um, what, why are we not clued in to have a cyber attorney on retainer and represent, uh, represent us. I mean, why, why don't the businesses protect their people, defend their process and technology and use a cyber attorney to guide them here? So a lot of times I think, right, well, a lot of times I think they think that their general practitioner or their, their GC, their in-house general counsel, outside general counsel can handle that. And it's interesting, I often get brought in by general counsel because they get to a point where they're like, I can advise. And then they're like, eh, like this, this mm -hmm. looks really strange to me, right? If you don't practice in this area regularly, if you're what I would consider a dabbler, you're gonna make big mistakes. Like the other day I was talking, um, I was negotiating a contract and my adversary, the other the other person who's who I, the other attorney, um, she was using a phrase, she was like, oh, um, we need your client to have security clearance. So that sent up, I was like, whoa, security clearance. I said, why do you have like Department of Defense contracts or something? She's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> We just want them to be only have access to certain information. I'm like, well, that's not the right the, word then, right? Like yeah. You're not talking about security clearance. You're talking access control. So right. like she didn't understand the, the word, like she didn't really understand the terms of art in our industry. And I say are because you guys are both cyber professionals. And right. from a legal perspective, you have to understand the technology piece of it. And then you have to understand the legal piece of it and be able to kind of be that translator. And she didn't know how to be that translator. And no offense, she was a lovely person, but I just realized at that point I had, I could run roughshod and have a good time with the contract because she wasn't, she was going to have to look up every word, right? Like I'm using right. phrases and stuff. And so you, you want to use somebody who really understands and who practices in this area. And it is a huge growth area. So I teach at Drexel, I, um, um, at their Klein School of Law and my cyber class is always packed right? Everybody wants to learn about cybersecurity. 
But what I would say is you have to have the right temperament for this kind of work too. You can't be, um, you can't be a nervous Nelly, right? You can't be like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Oh my God. You know, cause there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things happening. You have to be the voice of reason and you have to understand and you have to be able to slow things down a little bit, right? Cause data breaches and incidents happen around, happen at a rapid pace, but you have to be able to kind of make sense of the chaos and be able to kind of navigate your client through that. So I think it's important that you don't rely just on people who are kind of dabblers. Um, and I also think it's really important that um, you have a good temperament for it and, and really understand, be able to understand the technology and the legal piece of it um, and have experience too. I mean, people say to me all the time, they're like, well, you've been doing this for 20 plus years. I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wear and tear on, on this and, and on this that, you know what I mean? That we've, I've, mm -hmm. I've experienced a lot and I understand how that all works. And younger attorneys are, are wonderful and they're fantastic. And everybody thinks because they're young, they understand technology and they may, but they don't understand the law at that point either. You really need someone with a little bit of experience and, and to be able to kind of navigate through this. Um, and particularly for C-suites, I mean, Angela and I have had this conversation many, many times about, you know, advising the C-suite appropriately because they're, they've got a lot of skin in the game and their, you know, rear section is usually hanging out there in terms of liability. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, we've talked about, you know, what are, what are some things that CISOs should be doing and thinking about as they're kind of moving forward in this as well and, and having maybe even having their own legal counsel separate and apart from the, because remember the, their, I, when I represent a client, I represent the company, but the CISO should really have, I think sometimes have their own private counsel to help them kind of guide them through it because, you know, I mean, we've had this conversation about how <laughs> volatile that position is within any organ, within any company. That's yeah, I, an interesting that's an interesting thing, Angelo. I mean, <clears throat> from your perspective, are you seeing your counterparts in the CISO world gravitating to 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 engaging a cyber eternity for their personal self and then their companies? I mean, I mean, what are what are we missing? Well, I, I think you're seeing the next step because the issue at hand is um, we're you know we in these roles are getting hit with all this pressure, all these responsibility, liability, et cetera, and we're not being given a great guidance from a legal perspective because internally the lawyers are protecting the business. Externally, the lawyer that's hired to assist with some issue problem or whatever is there technically to protect the business and in the insurance company's um, interests. So that leaves this position sometimes without actual liability coverage because they're, you know, a lot of times they're not in a DNO position, so they don't fall under the coverage. So you have to ask for that. But secondarily, you know, they they end up in this this point of, you know, just paint a target on their back and let them go and see what happens. And and so as we get smarter, as more people get hurt, damaged, mm -hmm. their careers get ruined. You're going to see more and more people want a solution to this issue and one of those solutions would be hey who how can we protect ourselves and thus also do our jobs in a in a good and steady fashion that's always been an issue but actually from that perspective hey rebecca what can i do better <laughs> yeah there you go 
Well, you know, I mean, first of all, negotiating that is part of like the business could, you know, that could be part of compensation is to have your own, um, you know, counsel, private counsel, and they can work with the count. I mean, there, there's joint defense agreements and things like that. Yeah. There's going to be parts where that all aligns and the business is invested in making sure that what the CISO has done is correct, right? Like it's all right. aligned. Um, the other thing CISO should be thinking about is like, when I counsel my clients, I'm like, you guys have to have regular, I call them PSTs, privacy and security team, PST meetings. That PST reports up to the board every single time. And the board has a line item every single time on their board agenda to discuss cybersecurity and data privacy. Why? Because first of all, it changes every five seconds. So if you're not talking about it constantly, you've already missed the boat. People are like, oh, my, my documents are a year and a half old. I'm like, so they're a hundred years old in cyber, in cyber years, right? It's like dog years, but we talk about in cyber years. Cyber years. Right. Or privacy years too, because remember, privacy laws are rapidly changing at the state level. So you have to have that. That puts the business in a legally defensible position, but it also puts the CISO in a legally defensible position because now you're saying, well, I'm not making, I'm making certain decisions, but I'm also reporting up. And there's that everybody's now involved in that process. But one of the things I see a lot in class action lawsuits, particularly against big companies is that they're going after the board and they're saying, you weren't paying attention. You weren't on this. Like mm -hmm. you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. And of course they're always hanging the CISO out to dry. But if you have regular line items on your, on your board agenda and it's being discussed and there's reporting and all of this is happening, well, it's really hard to say that the trustees and the boards and things weren't paying attention to what was happening because they're actually demonstrating that. Um, and you can look at board minutes and say, okay, we did discuss this. Um, and the CISO then has, there's more people to kind of go, okay, it's not just, the finger isn't just getting pointed at the CISO. We're all responsible for what's happening here. Shared, shared responsibility, shared coverage. <laughs> I mean, there's so, nothing wrong with that. Let me ask you, let me ask you a very, a very popular heated, uh, heated topic, incident uh -oh. response. Yeah. Incident response, right? So in the past, um, in, incident response was call a security company. They get you uh, somebody who logs into a system, checks out logs, hunts, you know, puts their Sherlock Holmes cap on and starts super sleuthing through their network to find out, you know, where I had a breach, how did they, how did it occur? And, and, uh, and everything. And this is almost, <laughs> this could almost dovetail as one of uh, our, our new topics, which is, this is not like it is on TV, right? Um, <laughs> uh, where it's not, you know, criminal minds or anything. You have somebody sitting there with all their little, you know, tchotchkes on their, on their monitor saying, oh yeah, I'm doing this, right? There's, there's no Penelope there um, uh, to pick on that character. But really incident response is so much evolved i think in the past year year and a half 2023 specifically there has been a fundamental shift that i've noticed uh in incident response and that now includes a cyber attorney but why why do we need a cyber attorney why wouldn't the insurance carrier or or maybe our general counsel and i think you've alluded to the general counsel but why now a cyber attorney should be the, the, the spearhead in this in, initiative. Yeah. So first off, you see a lot of court cases talking about the fact that general counsel 
is going to be wearing two hats, right? And general counsel always wears two hats, particularly when they're in-house general counsel. They're wearing the business advice hat, and then they wear the legal advice hat, right? And sometimes those lines get very blurry, and it's very difficult to say, like, well, what are you really providing them? Um, when I engage with clients, I always make it very clear, you are hiring me for legal services. I am not providing you business advice. I am not giving you business advice. That is on somebody else. I'm providing you with legal advice related to cybersecurity services. Um, and then I engage experts, technological people, the tech guys that you were talking about, Andrew, like they're, the, they're my experts. They're gonna tell me the information that I can't possibly know because I'm a lawyer right? I'm not a tech person. I understand what they're saying, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to, under, you know, pull the logs off the firewall and, and understand how it, that's not my, that's not my job. My job is for you tech guy to tell me. And then I tell the client, this is what happened. And this is our legal responsibility. So you see lawyers getting brought in earlier and they should be brought in earlier because all of those conversations I just talked about when you engage mm -hmm. me as an attorney and I, as for legal services, and I engage my experts, all of that is then shrouded in the attorney-client privilege because you're putting those layers in place. You're saying the language that courts recognize. You're my expert. You're providing me with an expert opinion so that I can provide legal advice to a client. Um, and that's all work product and privilege. But when you see general counsel engage them or, you know, that then it gets very confusing and you have to prove it up. I like to start off with the premise of I'm a lawyer, prove that I'm not giving legal advice. Go. Right. So right. if all I do is provide legal advice to clients, then it's really hard for you not to say that. The other thing is a lot of times in these cases, it goes from data breach and incident response to litigation. So having that segue with your counsel is going to be really important. Now I may, a lot of times I get brought in because I'm not insurance defense counsel. So you may have an insurance counsel come in, right? Mm -hmm. You may say, okay, it's time to trigger that provision. You need to bring in insurance counsel. Um, I still tend to hang around and provide guidance to my client because remember, I, I'm a big fan of cyber liability insurance. You should have it. You should buy it, all that other stuff. Um, but if you're, that insurance defense counsel is providing, is works for the insurance company, right? That's who's right. paying their. So right. my clients usually say, we don't want you to go anywhere because we want you to advise us. Like he's saying, or she is saying one thing, but we want to know what does that mean for us? Like if we settle, if we do this, if we do that, like what does that really mean for our liability? Because once insurance runs out, mm -hmm. they're gone. They're not paying uh -huh. for anything else. Right. So if you have coverage, a million, two million dollars, you look at the cost of data breaches nowadays. It's so expensive. It's exceeding coverage. And then the lawsuits come and they're asking for seven, eight figures in settlement numbers. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so then what do you yeah. do? You're now you're you, the insurance isn't paying that. No. They're, and once the money runs there. out, their their attorney is, is satisfied their requirement minimized how much of the payout and they're gone. Right. So, mm. you know, you really have to be, you need the cyber coverage because it's expensive to respond to a data breach. But I, I am, a lot of my clients end up hiring me post breach mm -hmm. because they're like, we want our, we want someone who's on 
who's representing our interest, who's only representing our interest and only has our best best interest at heart. Right. But somebody who can speak, who can speak litigate or who can speak court, court talk. Right. I mean, absolutely. (laughs) Really, you're a translator. You've got many hats here, but you're representing the client first and foremost, which um, can't be said for for other. um, Makes sense to me. Yeah, and Angelo and I have had this conversation many, <laughs> many, many times too. I do right. think having a CISO's own, you know what I mean? And again, you can have joint defense agreements so everybody's communicating with each other and you you cross every T and dot every I, but your CISO's always hanging out there and businesses need to be, I think, more protective of their CISO. So how would you, st- I'm just curious how you would structure that. Um, so- I go into a role, I want, I want my own cyber attorney. Um, would that relationship be strictly between you and the CISO or you, the CISO and the company, you and the company and in to work with the CISO? Because there's a, there's a disclosure issue. You know, right. What can the CISO tell you if you're, if you're just his counsel or her counsel, they can't, you know, there's a, yeah. so much they can tell you. So, Talk to me a lot that. of times, too, and, and by the way, I am not providing legal advice. There's my legal disclaimer. This is not legal advice here, but disclaimer. in theory. Just say maybe. In theory. <laughs> hypothetically. Hypothetically, exactly, Andrew Scott. Hypothetically. Hypothetically speaking. Um, you know, you could structure it again. So the company could hire, like it happens, like you can hire. You have to be careful because there's ethical concerns and things like mm-hmm. that. But they can actually hire the attorney to represent a CISO. A lot of times, like that will happen. Like you'll have there a conflict will arise, particularly in litigation, and you know the company and it's their officers and directors are being sued along with the company. Well, now the officers and directors in the company can't have the same attorney, but they can hire somebody or they can reimburse or whatever the case may be. It can be part of the CISO's compensation that or part of your you know employment agreement with the company that look. If something goes sideways here, I get my own attorney to represent me and you're we're going to share information up until the point where a conflict arises, in which case they're going to take all over my whatever the representation of me is. Right. And then everything disclosed amongst the parties still is maintained amongst the parties confidentially. Um, but there's ways of structuring it. There's always ways unless it's illegal or unethical. There's always a way of structuring something so that you can protect and the CISO feels protected right? Like part of it is mm-hmm. CISOs are afraid to do anything nowadays. I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, Angelo. What I mean, I, you, yeah. I see the cases, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. How do you protect a company when you're afraid to take action? Right. I mean, th- does by knowing something put you liable for it? What about not knowing it? Right. I mean, yeah. you know, both of those put you in a liability state. Um, and then what if I can't know it because you know, I didn't get funding for a particular product that would give me the visibility to allow me to understand what's going on here? Mm-hmm. This, this is where things get sticky and issue. Well, yeah, get issues oriented. Yeah. So. And having, having security counsel, somebody who's a security attorney, cybersecurity attorney, right? Like mm-hmm. there to advise the CISO on things like, I mean, there might, you might have one for the company and then a separate one for the CISO. We talked, right. That's what we were just talking about. But just having a cybersecurity attorney that the CISO can co- can work collaboratively with is going to be helpful because 
their goal, my goal, right? When I'm working with a, a client, my goal isn't to necessarily get the cheapest price, right? Like that's not why you have me here. That might be the goal of general counsel. That might be the goal of, of the board because, you know, my goal is to see like, well, what is this product that we're going to use? How does it affect our privacy and security postures? Do we need additional provisions in the contract in and around that? Do we have to make different disclosures to our customers, consumers, employees? Like that's what I'm thinking about, right? Like what is, how does this new piece of software affect the privacy and security laws in and around the company? And then how do we limit or what I like to call is create a legally defensible position? You do your due diligence, you send out your information, you review their SOC 2s or their ISO certificate, whatever you're going to be doing. And then that puts the CISO, it empowers the CISO, right? Because now you have an ally. You have somebody who's gone, yeah, we vetted this person. We vetted this, whatever you're gonna, what you want to do, um, as opposed to them just out there fishing at the end of the pier on their own. Happens a lot. Happens to people who, especially who've never been there, have been mm -hmm. through an issue. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's not... We don't live in a fair world, right? But it's not fair to expect one person to shoulder the burden of security and privacy for the entire organization. Like it is a shared, as I think Andrew, you said, it's a shared responsibility model. Mm -hmm. When I teach enterprise risk management at Drexel, that's one of the things I talk about is the, is like I, I, the textbook we're, we use talks about the democratization of risk. And it's a really mm -hmm. interesting topic if you think about it. And what does democratization mean? It means that everybody is involved in the process of risk. What is one of the biggest risks to organizations is cybersecurity, right? Is the security of the data. And so considering how everybody has to have been on that, that's why you create a team. And it's not just the CISO. You have the CISO, you have the head of finance, you have the head of HR, you have the head of marketing, you have legal, and they're all having these discussions because you're never going to be able to see the forest for the trees as the CISO. Like, you're always going to be involved in the minutia of the de and the details, but other people may ask like stupid questions that are not actually stupid, but makes you think, oh, like, I never thought about that that way. You know what I mean? So like having those discussions becomes really important. I'm really a big fan of. I, and, and listen, this is generally the way I start off. I mean, I, I go through the organization and, and one, introduce myself and two, have have a kind of an interview conversation with the heads of all these departments to make sure that, you know, one, they understand what I'm looking for to protect. And two, mm -hmm. they understand what they're protect, want to protect may not be what the business wants to protect, but they may have an additional item that the business needs to know about. There's yeah. a risk here and they may not know they have the risk. They may think it's just innocuous. Right. Example, um, every agent in, uh, let's say, HR place has access not only to see social security numbers, but also maybe some other paraphernalia like, um, you know, health records, mm -hmm. accounting numbers, stuff like that. Do, what, why do they need to have access to it? What's their reasoning? What's the, and, and, and if they do, can they, put, can they generate reports on it? Stuff like that. These are the things that don't come out until you have a conversation. Right. And when you have that conversation, pe people start going, ooh, ooh, ooh. So, and they never think about it that way. Like they're just, just, because yeah. they're focused on doing their job as they should be, yeah. right? Yeah. But you've got to have those discussions within the company because it's going to bring risk to light that nobody thinks about.
and it benefits everybody. And it reduces, again, reduces risk, reduces liability. It's, it just, it makes so much sense and people think it's such a waste of time, but the bigger waste of time is dealing with a data breach and then having to get sued for it, right? Like talk oh, yeah. about a time suck. Oh. Think about how much productivity you lose you know, like we were, jo I was, you know, joking before we started this about like, what is like lawyers, they always think we're like a drain on things. But if I can avoid litigation for you or put you in a position where we win on a motion to dismiss or we're out of the case early, think about how much money we just save. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you're not, not just in my fees, which, right, like, I know everyone always complains about, but well worth it if you're not spending, if you're, if the head of your IT depart department, the head of finance, isn't stuck in a deposition for three or four days. Like, yeah, or, or in handcuffs. <laughs> awesome. Definitely also, time suck. <laughs> also, time suck. Absolutely. <laughs> pain to have to go down there and bail them out. You know. Hey, it's 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 already coming, right? We're already hearing about these these high profile cases where uh, executives are are potentially looking at personal liability issues or even potentially prison prison sentences right i mean I, and i guess the other vector i i see for a cyber attorney when i'm partnering with a company let's say a large you know multi multi-headed hydra of a of a fortune 100 company and i'm just a i'm just a provider for them i'm just a vendor for them they're getting pretty smart now and they're starting to look at Oh, you want to partner partner with me? What's your security posture look like? Do you help get this stuff in in a kind of in line to be able to provide that type of attestation or type of validation? Absolutely, because they're not they're going to ask you like, I do this a lot, right? Like I I work with a lot of of clients who are subject to Department of Labor um, mm -hmm. guidelines, right? They re, they issued cybersecurity guidelines in twenty twenty. Whatever, 2021, I can't remember the exact date. Um, right now, the years all blend together to me. Um, but they um, they issued these guidelines, and part of the the guidelines it was it was online security tips, um, cybersecurity, whatever. And then the third one was vendor management, and they talked about your third parties and things like that. And so now all of the vendors of any organization that is subject to DOL guidelines has to answer these like questionnaires and like, what do you do? And how do you do that? And what does that mean? And all this other stuff. And, um, you know, but third-party vendors are a huge, huge, I mean, you guys know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, right? They are like probably the number one uh, place a hacker will go because you're not just getting one company's data, you're getting everybody's, right? And, the, and because businesses are looking like different vendors, provide different services, um, it may be a smaller organization. And so that organization has to be able to comply with, you know, the mammoth company's mm -hmm. security and privacy requirements. And, you know, yeah, we work with them to get them ready. And we also work with them to, because they're going to have vendor requirements. And you also have to look at the contracts, right? Like they're mm -hmm. very quick to like, oh, we want to get the sign because this is a Fortune 100 or whatever company. And this is a big, this is a big deal for us. And you know, just make it so that we can sign it. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but you're you don't want to sign a contract and be in breach at the same time, right? So you want to make sure that you're, <laughs> I don't right. recommend that, right? Yeah. Um, if you're not ready or you need a runway, then you need to let them know, like, I'm going to need a runway here. 
you know, I'll be in compliance, but it's going to take me six months to get there. And we'll right. keep you informed as we go along. But, you know, you but need I, to be But I think it also enforces the seriousness, the seriousness of your intent. Um, if you if you have a cyber attorney guiding you along the way and, and you have like, Angelo, you, you know, we, we work with small companies as well that may not have the full staff, executive staff like a CISO to be able to walk through it. So, you know, bringing somebody like Angelo along, bringing somebody like you along, it's you're setting yourself up for success, even though you need the runway, you're telling them, I'm serious about this. Yeah. I'm serious about this. I recognize your need for security and and this this posture, this level or whatever, be it a DOD requirement or Department of Labor, whatever. I'm I'm picking the right people. You know, I'm I'm, I'm picking the right. I'm picking Rebecca. I'm picking Angelo. I'm putting them on my team, be it fractional or whatever as a retainer. But I'm putting them on the team to be able to show you and demonstrate to you this is going to get done. Yep. Yeah. And there's definitely something to be said for that. So, you know, we've been, you know, there's this whole thing of information <laughs> security. And then and then we have this thing called data privacy mm. or privacy. Um, the the reality is, fancy. he calls it privacy. I know. When I check, when I check my schedule, it's very, you know, open. <laughs> um, so the overlaps, uh, you know, yeah. there tends to be a lot of overlap between mm -hmm. information security and data privacy. You know, maybe we're not doing DFARS, which, you know, we might need to explain in and of itself. But when you start looking at them, there's some expectations between the two. And the overlaps kind of lend for, like, an information security officer being an a data privacy officer. and and But not generally vice versa. Um, so you want to opine on that, Rebecca? Use your so vast knowledge. My vast knowledge of data privacy. So here's the thing. You can't have privacy without security, right? It's like old song, you can't have one without the other. Right, so um, you have to have both. So I am a big fan of creating a privacy officer and a security officer, both on the PST, constantly working together. Because if you're gonna deal with data privacy, you have to, you have to be working hand in glove with your cybersecurity. You know, your, your DPO and your DSO have to be working together. Um, because there's going to be things that's, that people want to do that are going to affect both areas, right? But right. you see a lot of law and regulation in and around privacy now, right? First, it started off with Europe, with the GDPR, and then it kind of moved across the pond to the country of California, which has its own weird set of laws and things like that. Um, but it's it's spread out. And, you know, you see, I think there are about 10 states now that have privacy laws on the books and many, many more who have plans on putting them on the books right. in 2024. And mm -hmm. so considering it's not just like, OK, well, we, we're going to have two factor and we're going to have some, you know, we're going to have great backups and we're going to have it, it, that's not enough when you're dealing with data privacy. You have to be thinking, what am I doing with this data? How what do I have to tell the data subject I'm doing with this data? And then how do I, you know, how can I do what I need to do from a privacy perspective? Erase, correct, um, port, whatever the privacy laws allow them to do. And are you going to, like, for California residents, are you going to do something different than New Jersey that doesn't currently have a data privacy law? Or are you going to say, look, I'm giving everybody the same. If you call me and you say, I, wanna, I want, want you to erase me, 
it's not going to matter. Like you got to make these decisions, but then you also have to functionally be able to do it. And so it gets very complicated. And so you have to understand what the law requires, what the company is capable of doing, and then be able to kind of go from there. And then also you have to have the contractual language in and around a lot of this stuff to make sure that you're, again, not running afoul, kind of what Andrew's question was before with, with mm-hmm. you know, having a, a security attorney. I know what we're doing. We're going to get there. I think that was a valid, you know, a really valid point. Demonstrate having those people on retainer, like a seat, if you, if you can't have it in house, because it's going to definitely show a commitment that to privacy yeah. and security, which I never leave, I never like talk about them separately. Ever, I mean, you ever notice I always talk about cybersecurity and data privacy, cybersecurity, yeah. because I, they really do function together as, as kind of a, it's a group effort. Would you say that? the roles of information security officer and DPOs should be a separate role. Yes. Okay. And I would you say that. in that separate role, those responsibilities, although overlapping, you know, th- there's responsibilities that need to need to be held by each that, and, and, and that teamwork that you said to work together, how much of that plays into third party risks? You know, you know, you talk about data processing agreements. <clears throat> Your third party, your your third party, you you send some marketing data to them, mm-hmm. they receive it. Then what do they do with it? Right. Yeah. Talk to me about what a DPA is, so people know. So um, a DPA is a data processing addendum, or it's a contractual. It's it's the contractual document which basically governs what are the privacy obligations. Now, when I write DPAs, not ones for Europe because they're a little bit differently than you have to have standard contractual clauses too, although now if it's a framework, whatever. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. When you're writing a DPA, I like to include both privacy and security provisions because like I said, you have to have kind of both, but a DPA should tell the processor, the person who you're giving the data to, the third party, what can you do with this data, mm-hmm. right? It, it mm-hmm. explains to them, I am trusting you with this data. This is what you can do with it. And you can't do anything else. If you're going to do anything else, you have to come back to me and you have to talk to me about it. Or if you get a, a, D, a, a data subject access request, a DSAR, mm-hmm. you have to come back and ask me, like, what do I do with this, right? Like, Because I'm the person who's in charge of this information. So you need, it, it, it dictates what happens in and around that data. And um, I think they're really important, particularly companies, they don't think about it this way, but most of them traffic in data. Right. Mm-hmm. They're not trafficking. I mean, we sell widgets and we do all like this stuff, but you're really selling information. Why is Amazon the behemoth that is? It's because it knows what you're going to buy before you buy it. Right. Yeah, and that's it's, annoying. No, it, it is kind of annoying sometimes, <laughs> especially when things pop up on my feed and I'm like, except no, when they're I on really sale. I don't want that. Well, <laughs> kind of a sucker for being on sale. Anyway, but. You know what I mean? Like it under yeah. their algorithms understand what you're searching for and what you're looking for. And then all of a sudden it's popping up in your social media and all it's information about you. Right. And so, and all businesses are like that, you know, even like healthcare, right. The service they provide you is they're going to make you feel better or they're going to tell you you're okay. But really it's all the information, the bits and pieces about you that, forms that opinion, right? You Mm -hmm. gather all of that information. What is that information? It's data. They're collecting data about you to form a diagnosis. It's exactly the same thing with privacy and security. 
I'm always fascinated because companies and people, they go, well, when it comes to doctors, they go to the doctor. When it comes to data privacy and cybersecurity, I'm like, oh, I don't want to spend the money. Why? If you had cancer, would you say, oh, I wanna, I'm going to cure my own cancer? Only, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to go to a doctor and say, help me. Why would you do anything differently when you're dealing with the, the information that forms your business? Like, this is the most important thing you own. So, sorry, I went off on a tangent. The, the, the processing addendums, though, are really important because it's going to tell your vendor exactly what they can do with the data. The more particular you are, the less wiggle room they have and the less chance you have of people selling things and doing things with your information that you don't want them to do or you're not allowed to do, which is the right. other big issue. I like that. I like that. So in the, I'd love in to the, have Rebecca back. I, I, I'm, I couldn't say that fast enough. I think she I has know, more I know words. We have, oh. See? I have nothing else to say. <laughs> nothing else to say. I don't <laughs> believe it. But listen, in, in the last few minutes, we, first of all, thank you again for taking the time and, and, and being one of our uh, guest speakers uh, for, for uh, the series. But um, one last question, and it's going to nag in my head. Have you run across an instance where the security officer and the pr uh, privacy officer are not in accord with each other? <laughs> Headbutting. No, because I always put them in place. So I'm the one who's coming in and going, hey, you look like a good person and you look like a good person and we're going to work together. Plus I'm usually involved in the conversation. And despite what, you know, my spouse might think I'm actually a really good like mediator and like there I'm a good go. listener. So um, yeah, so I can, or what Angela might think. <laughs> <laughs> Another great reason to have a cyber attorney in your, in your uh, repertoire. Yeah. Um, but I guess Angelo, you're, 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 Famous yeah. quote that you always say is what? <laughs> Complexity is the enemy of security. If you can't exactly. figure it out, you can't understand what it is, and you can't understand how secure you are. Right. And yet we're living in a com in a complex world, and sometimes we just need a, a Sherpa, a guide, an attorney in this case, to help us get to the right path and do the right thing. Um, so, folks, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We will have, um, if she allows us to to uh, to come back, uh, uh, Rebecca, back on. Uh, just as a <laughs> thank you, thank you. Just as a reminder that in Goliath Securities uh, website, we do have a link to expanlawpartners.com. That's Rebecca's firm, and we uh, we do like to make sure that uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Uh, use our portal to get to her if you can't remember. Uh, but uh, as I always say, the best security device resides between our ears, if we so choose. <laughs> so, Rebecca, do you, do you have a saying? Do you have a saying? Luck favors the prepared. Ah. Ooh. We're, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. So that's our that's our new phrase too. Uh, Thank you all, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode and look forward to uh, talking with Rebecca in another episode. Thanks again. Take care.